depois do Wednesday night, February 6, 2013. Welcome once again to the show that covers everything and anything and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Pacino and my co-host and tag team partner is David Gomez. Sir, how are you? Doing awesome, doing fabulous, excited to be here as always on 1640 AM Ironbound Radio. As Joe mentioned, of course, if you'd like to be a part of the show, make sure you check us out. PureGoldPG.com. You can also listen to us live if you're not listening here in Newark. IR1640.com. Of course, you can check out our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and all other goodness, sir. Thank you, sir. On the program tonight, we will be ta- talking to uh, what you could say is a lot of different talent that you have lined up for this great radio station. Yes, yes, right sir. We'll be talking to actress Erin Bethia, who will be joining us shortly. She's actually, on hold. Yeah, sir. she's on the hold. Uh, we'll review Super Bowl Forty Seven, and if we get some time, we'll talk some wrestling with, uh, you know, potentially our new uh, talent who's sitting to my left. Yes, sir, we actually will. And, of course, uh, we'll get to all that in a minute. But, folks, we are happy to be joined right now by actress Erin Bethea, who some of you may know from the movie Fireproof. Erin, how are you doing this evening? I am doing great. I'm sitting in traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> wow, that that is not fun. Um, I can only imagine. We were just sitting in traffic trying to get to our station here in Newark, so I know that that's not fun. Now, Erin, um, like I said when I did the intro, People know you from the movie Fireproof, of course, which is a movie that um, you know I saw personally uh, before I got married. My wife and I have seen it. She actually forces me to watch it every once in a while. Um, but it was a good film, and of course you worked in it with Kirk Cameron, who many people know from Growing Pains back in the 80s. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we talk about the film? Tell the listening audience, uh, you know, who is Aaron Bethea? <laughs> oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, no, well, I'm, uh, I grew up in South Georgia, actually, um, in the same town where Fireproof was made in Albany. Um, that's my hometown. So, um, yeah, just from, grew up in a small hometown. My dad is a, is a pastor, so I'm a preacher's kid. And uh, fell in love with acting in high school um, and decided to pursue that as a career and got a degree in theater in college and um, started working as a performer at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Oh, wow. And uh, then the opportunity to go and audition for Fireproof came along. And since then, it's been a lot of back and forth and stage work, but then also a lot of uh, a lot of film work. I've done I've done uh, 10 movies since Fireproof. So oh, wow. Busy. That's awesome. Um, now, tell us, how did you, you mentioned you auditioned Fireproof, but how did you land the lead role in that film? Uh, it was sort of a, a roundabout way of doing it, I guess. Originally, the character description for Catherine Holt, who ended up playing in the movie, um, had her being about 36 or 37. And at the time when I auditioned, I was 24. So I was a little too young to play 37. It was a little out of my age range. 
Um, but I just really loved the character and really wanted the opportunity to sort of, I don't know, make an attempt at her. And so I actually went in to audition for a much smaller part for one of the nurses that Catherine works with at the hospital. Um, but while I was in my audition, I just asked them, you know, I said, hey, I know I'm too young, but would you guys mind if I auditioned for Catherine? And they said, oh, sure, yeah, that's fine, you can do that. So um, I don't think any of us expected me to end up playing the part, but then a few weeks later I got the phone call saying, so we're going to change their ages a little bit, make them a little bit younger, we're going to put, put Catherine around 30, and uh, we want you to play it and can you please come up and read with, we're having an actor come in to read for Caleb. His name is Kurt Cameron. <laughs> Could you please come and, and read with him for uh, for Caleb. So it was uh, sort of a whirlwind. I didn't expect to get cast. I definitely didn't expect to get cast opposite Kurt Cameron. So it was all a very pleasant surprise. Now, Erin, what, what was it like working with Kurt Cameron? Because, you know, like uh, Dave said, we all grew up watching Growing Pains, a uh, very funny uh, guy. But what was it? How was he uh, in, you know, actual in real life? You know, he was so great. I mean, I, I, I joke with people that I've considered myself very lucky to have actually been, I was a little bit young to have been a Growing Pains fan. I mean, I watched the show, but I didn't, like, have Kirk's picture on my wall as a teenage girl or anything. Well, Joe had his picture on the, on the wall just so you know. Yeah, so, I mean, well, like, half of our, I mean, half of our makeup team and hair team was freaking out because they all had his poster on their wall and all that. But I, I've told a lot of people I was really lucky that, I, luckily, I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm working with my childhood crush, you know. Um, but, no, he was so wonderful to work with. I mean, just came on and you know he volunteered to do the movie none of us got got paid on the movie and he volunteered just like everybody else and worked really hard and was a delight and I really think it's I think it's the best performance of his career I think he's amazing in it that's great now Aaron talking about your career let's not talk about Kirk Cameron more because this is about you <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what got you interested into acting been a little bit of a ham <laughs> um, as a child. I'd always been one of those kids that stands up on the fireplace mantle and performs when the whole family comes over and that sort of thing. But I think it maybe it took me a little while. I mean, a lot of kids as a kid, they're like, I want to be in movies. I want to be an actor. And their parents are just crazy enough to like set them up with agents and send them out on kid commercials and stuff like that. But um, I was not one of those kids. I really was just interested in being a kid. I wasn't thinking about a career. But then um, in high school, my high school started doing these big spring musicals uh, my sophomore year, and I auditioned for the very first big spring musical that my school did, and it was Bye Bye Birdie, and uh, I got the lead in it. And just, I guess, sort of doing that, having always sort of been, I guess, a natural performer and never really being scared of being up in front of people, it just it it just felt like coming home. It felt really natural to be performing on stage in front of people. I never never really had a lot of nerves or anything like that. It just felt like where I belonged. And um, so then I started thinking, wow, you know, there are people who do this for a career. I could do this for a job and feel like this all the time, and that would be amazing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so if uh, so, I was gonna say, Erin, if you had the choice though, what would you what would you choose then? Would you want to uh, perform in front of a live audience, or would you want to stick to movies? tell people 
all the time that actually I, I've been asked that question so much, and it's almost like having to choose between two loves. And so what I tell people is that theater, live performance is my first love. It's where I first fell in love with acting. And um, just like no matter how many other relationships you get into, you never quite forget that first feeling of falling in love. Right. Um, so that's what theater is for me, but film is where I feel like I found my true love. You know, film is who I want to marry. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to, you know, I I love going back and doing theater when I get the chance, and it's so refreshing and just reminds me so much of why I love it. I mean, there's so much less sort of gunk and politics involved in theater than there is in film. Um, and so it's a nice, like, refreshing time to remember why you love what you do, but Film is uh, film is the all end all for me. Speaking of films, you're also in a movie called uh, Amazing Love with Sean Astin. Another film that I saw. Now uh, many people know Sean from the movie Rudy. Of course, he was the title character. Now tell us a little bit about that film. Yeah. Oh, Amazing Love. We shot that uh, back in 2011, and I was so thrilled to find out that I was going to be working with Sean Ashton. I mean, he's just, he is truly one of my favorite actors. I just think he's so amazing. I've loved him ever since Goonies, you know, <laughs> and I love him in Lord of the Rings. I think he's so incredible. And so I was actually, I was really nervous to work with him just because I think he's so talented and I was going to be playing his wife. So I knew that he and I were going to have to have this sort of, you know, good chemistry going and we really hit it off. I mean, he's, We've stayed in touch. I've I've gone to dinners with him and his family. His wife and his kids are awesome. And went and st- came out to L.A. and stayed at their house for a weekend when I was looking at moving out here. And, I mean, they're just the most incredible people. And he's just salt of the earth. I mean, for a guy who was raised by a Hollywood starlet in Hollywood, you would never know it. He's, he's so down to earth and so sweet. He's just got a great big heart. Folks, we're talking to Erin Bethia, actress extraordinaire, soon to be, what, Oscar award winning in a couple of years, you'd say? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Erin, <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you a uh, two-part question. What what role do you, uh, what type of role do you prefer in acting, and what role haven't you done that you'd like to try? Um, well, I'll tell you, what I what I really love to do, and and my favorite role that I've done in a film so far uh, and what I would love to do more of, I just did a movie this summer called Redemption. Um, it'll be coming out sometime next year. And it was a 1800s Western period piece. And it was just so much fun to work on. I mean, it was just so cool to be on these in these costumes with the horses and all that sort of thing. So I pretty much love any movie that takes place in, like, a period or a setting where you really just kind of have to get immersed in another world. I I just love that. It's so much fun for me, anything that just takes place in a different world than the world that I live in every day, you know. Um, So I love that. I'm really excited about that that film. It's my favorite that I've done to date. And then... um, Something I haven't done a lot of, I've done a little bit of it and mostly on stage, but I would just absolutely kill to do a good comedy. I mean, I have I have a lot of comedy background theatrically, um, but I haven't really, because I've mostly done Christian film, and for some reason, I don't know, Christians don't want to try to be funny. I don't know, but <laughs> a lot of Christian film is just very serious and very dramatic, and there's not a lot of 
really comedic moments, especially for women. And so um, I would really love the opportunity to do a comedy or a romantic comedy or something like that. So. You know, what's interesting is um, this is actually ties perfectly into my next question. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago because we had uh, Michelle Money, who was in a Christian film. And it's interesting because I didn't notice, but the movie was actually Mormon, a Mormon film. They switched and then became a Christian film. But one thing that bothers me, you know, being Christian and watching these movies, I like them. I like Fireproof. I like, you know, uh, Amazing Love. I like a lot of different films. But uh, I was watching a movie recently. I think it was called Hard Flip. And uh, John Schneider, who's one of my favorite actors, he was in Smallville. He was in uh, Dukes of Hazzard right. for those people a little bit older than myself. And that movie is great. But if for some reason in these movies, in these films, the mother always has to die. Somebody has to have terminal cancer. It, you know, somebody's always dying. It's always, it's always some type of horrible traumatic experience. And you mentioned no Christian comedy or, you know, those types of films. Now, let me ask you, being that you're on the opposite side from me as a viewer watching these films, do you think that there's a way Christian movies can be more mainstream? And I don't mean in a sense of, like, compromising their values, but is there a way that they can improve the films to make them more uh, open for audiences? Because a lot of these films, when they get reviewed, like Fireproof, which made a ton of money, it was a huge success uh, based on, you know, budget-wise and everything, but these films, a lot of times by secular people or non-Christians, get dismissed as uh, preachy and just too much Jesus and et cetera. Is there a way to strike a balance between those two things? And, you know, again, maybe make some films where people aren't dying horrible, gruesome deaths and the kids end up abandoned and alone or whatever the case is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I absolutely think that there is. And I think that there are, you know, there are a few Christian filmmakers out there who are who are starting to get it a little more. Um, and that's it's one of the things that I, I hope to be a part of because I personally, I mean, I, I, you know, I love the Word of God, but I don't really love super preachy Christian films. Right. Um, <laughs> that's just, it's not really my speed. And, and um, so, uh, you know, I feel like there is a great opportunity for Christian filmmakers to make movies that rather than the movie itself having some sort of uh, blatant altar call in it, that maybe just the message of the movie is something that will hopefully open up discussions so that non-Christians who see it maybe go to their Christian friends and say, hey, you know, I saw this movie that, man, it was about this and this and this, and it was so great, and maybe their friend who's a believer can then say, well, you know, that's actually a biblical principle. Let me tell you about it, you know? <laughs> Well, so I do. Yeah. I think that there's there's definitely a way to do it. I mean, you look at um, you look at C.S. Lewis, who we all know is a Christian writer, and he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which of course then, you know got made into these huge movies that are not they were not made by a Christian company or anything like that. The movie company didn't even I don't even know if they realized they were making Christian movies. <laughs> um, but because C.S. Lewis is able to weave a story in such a way that you never even quite see the gospel presentation coming until it has already come, you know, I just think a lot of the key to that is going to be some really good writing. Well, uh, you know, for- sorry, Aaron, to catch up, but it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, Lord of the Rings is another movie that was also written by a Christian, which is J.R.R. Tolkien. And, you know, that's another super fantastical type of film. And you look at, if you look at like, you know, the, some of the characters, then you kind of really deeper than, than what you see on the surface, you'll see the Christian principles behind it. Same thing with Chronicles of Narnia. But you mentioned filmmakers like the Kendrick Brothers, for example. They did Fireproof. And this movie, it, it's I'm almost going to sound hypocritical, but I liked Courageous. I thought it was a really good film. 
uh, in that film, the, the main character's daughter dies, so then it, it impulses him to become a better father, et cetera, et cetera. That's probably one of the only examples I can think of where I didn't mind it so much, but, um, you know, you mentioned it, so I had to kind of, I had to throw it out there, being that your film isn't that way, but of course, when he gets into the whole 40-day challenge and the Word of God, like, there's obviously very Christian principles behind it, and again, the principles are great, of course, but it's a matter of, if somebody's not Christian, they're not going to look at these films and say, well, yeah, let me go watch this. But like you said, if they watch Chronicles of Narnia, if they watch The Lord of the Rings, people probably watch them and don't even realize that Christians wrote these uh, books that turned into films. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, there's a place for both. I mean, I would definitely, I would qualify Fireproof under the preachy Christian film category. Um, but there's a place for both. There's uh, there's a place for the Christian films that have the blatant gospel presentation and a lot of, you know, the open use of the name of Jesus Christ and right. things like that. And those films, the way I sort of categorize it is like, do you want to make your film, if you're a Christian filmmaker, do you want to make your film to edify the church, to to encourage other believers? Or do you want to make your film to reach people who would never walk into a church ever? Right. And and you can do both, absolutely, but the truth is you can also separate them into two. And if you – a movie like Fireproof, really – I mean, there are a lot of people who have been saved through Fireproof and who have been touched, um, people who have never gone to church, who, have, who are now believers and their marriages have been saved. It's unbelievable. But really, I mean, the Kendrick brothers – First and foremost, they are ministers. Right, right. And so they're, you know, a huge part of their heart as filmmakers is to edify the church and to encourage fellow believers. And so that's why their movies tend to be a little bit more preachy, whereas, you know, if you're looking more to reach somebody who is completely anti-hearing about the gospel, you would want to do something that's a little more mainstream where really, uh, you know, I mean, I relate it to the way that Jesus used a parable. You know, I mean, the way he used a parable was just to tell a regular story that everybody around him could relate to, but within that story was a message that was really vital for them to hear. Wow. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Aaron breaking it down on pure gold. This is uh, deep thoughts. You know, this is really deep thoughts okay, here. Well, especially for someone like yourself. Now, Aaron, um, can you tell us what other projects, uh, you know, as we, as we end our, our interview with you here, um, tell us what other projects you have lined up. I know you mentioned to me that you have a, an audition today, but um, what, what else do you have going on that we may be looking forward to? I do. Well, I have um, I have two movies that just came out on DVD. One one we talked about earlier, Amazing Love, with Sean Ashton. Right. Um, and then another one that just came out on DVD called The Heart of Christmas. It's based on a true story, and it stars myself and Candace Cameron, Kirk's sister. I'm working oh, nice. on way yeah, <laughs> uh, and a whole bunch of other really incredibly talented people, and um, and then this May I've got a movie coming out on DVD called This Is Our Time, uh, and then keep a lookout for Redemption, which is the western that I did, and then coming up this spring I'll be shooting another movie called Nouvelle V. Wow. Um, and Nouvelle V is French for New Life. Um, very, very busy woman. I think. Yeah, it's going to be a romance. It's going to be really, really great. I think it's going to be a powerful one. So, yeah, good stuff going on. Yeah, we definitely want to thank you, Evan, for coming on. We know you have an audition in about 17 minutes. Hope uh, everything goes well. But before we let you go, uh, how can fans keep in contact with you and your career? 
the best way is uh, you can friend me on Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page. It's Erin Buffet. Um, or really, because I'm not as good at keeping up with Facebook, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at Erin Buffet, really easy. Um, I'm on there a lot and on Instagram a lot. So um, if you really want to, you know, delve into my personal life, you can <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. So, um, But please do. I, I love chatting with people and hearing people's responses to things and um it's it's fun to connect with people that you don't know, but who you know you you get to feel like you know them a little bit. Well, Aaron, it has truly been an honor and a pleasure having you on our show tonight. We definitely wish you much success, and hopefully you can return back onto Pure Gold when you do win a couple Oscars. <laughs> Thank you very much. Aaron, have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You take care. Folks, as I said, Aaron Bethay. I guess you got it right the first time, Joe. For once, you pronounced something correctly. Uh, <laughs> I did. Joining us, uh, of course, like I said, actress on Fireproof and uh, many other films, more than I actually knew uh, she was doing. But, of course, uh, folks, we have a lot of things to get to on the show today, so we'll be right back with a special in-studio guest right after these wonderful sound bites that we like to have here from Pure Gold. What's up, everyone? This is Bright Lights Jared Foster, the man of a thousand bulbs and Mr. Entertainment himself. A reoccurring guest, nonetheless, on Pure Gold Radio. And what I want you to do is check out my friends, Dave and Joe, as they deliver nonstop entertainment week after week with amazing guests discussing everything from wrestling and sports to entertainment. You name it, it's talked about, and it's only talked about in one place. Pure Gold Radio, and you can find them at puregoldpg.com. That's puregoldpg.com. This is Josh Eisenberg from ChairShot Reality on WrestleZone.com. Tune in each week to Pure Gold Radio with Dave and Joe as they talk about professional wrestling, music, movies, whatever's on your mind, they'll get to it. Pure Gold Radio, Dave and Joe, the best out there, laying the smackdown each week. That's Pure Gold Radio. Folks. We are back here on Pure Gold, as you just heard our couple sound bites. And it's funny because uh, we did two wrestling bites. We barely talk about wrestling lately, but, you know, that's uh, we'll get to that in a minute, folks. We're joined here in studio, an honor and a privilege to have Mr. Ken Reedy, who has his own show on Blog Talk Radio, wrestling-based. Uh, and, of course, Ken, you know, we had him come in here to check things out and just kind of get to know him to see what's going on. Ken, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing right. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, ironically enough... Uh, my first show was actually Bye Bye Birdie as, as well. So, oh, really? So we have like a segue there from, from Aaron into this. So, uh, uh, you were doing acting and whatnot? Uh, yeah, you know, I actually studied theater. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I studied theater in college. Uh, I guess I didn't know really want, what I wanted to do. I was always a wrestling fan. And uh, interestingly enough, like first off, I, I went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I uh, wanted to do kind of sports. And uh, kind of did uh, similar, I guess, what you guys are doing. It was... Uh, Sports that was wrestling friendly, like it was mostly right, right, sports. Right. <laughs> like I was kind of doing a podcast, recording it, posting it online, and most of the feedback I was getting was, you know, hey, talk more wrestling. I want to hear about, you know, thoughts on wrestling, yada yada yada. So it just kind of transitioned into just being a purely a wrestling show. So that's what we're doing now. We we talked about this last week on our show. We talked about how we got into wrestling. So let me ask you, how how did you get into wrestling, and what made you a wrestling junkie? Uh, it's, it's you know. It's funny how things come in ebbs and flows when uh, growing up, uh, you know, and he hates it when, because I, I, I still don't touch them, but uh, it's like in third grade, and a friend of mine, Bobby Moran, had a sleepover party for his birthday, 
And uh, I'd never seen wrestling before. And, uh, you know, it's not as closely a guarded secret, but then it was that, you know, we didn't know that it was scripted. Right. So uh, uh, it was not the famous cage match, but it was a, a Don Morocco, Jimmy Snuka matchup. And uh, I'd never seen wrestling before. And at, at some point the ref was knocked unconscious uh, the announcer or somebody yelled, oh, my God, the, the, the ref is unconscious. It's a fight to the death. <laughs> All the wrestlers came from the back to, to break it up, and uh, I, I thought this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I, I just was kind of hooked then. And then not so long after that, I saw that the making of Rocky Three. It was a, like a special on CBS. And, uh, you know, when I first saw Hulk Hogan, I was like, this, this is just he's, this is amazing. Like, who is this guy? And uh, that that kind of hooked me in. So uh, I've been pretty much a fan ever since. Yeah, um, our guest last week actually interviewed us, and she wanted to talk to us about wrestling. Uh, what what she she thought it was funny that we both like wrestling, and of course that so we both. Interestingly enough, Joe Joe gave a story, and I wasn't even paying attention to it because I was thinking about my own story. We both talked about the same exact match, which is WrestleMania Six, Hulk Hogan against Delta Warrior. It wasn't the first time we had seen it, but that really was like wow, set us over the top. Um, you mentioned Hogan, you mentioned Morocco, you mentioned Snuka. Do you have an all-time... If I were to ask you who's the greatest of all time, in your mind, who would you say? I'm always going to go with Hulk Hogan. Uh, confirmed Hulkamaniac. I'm not going to get <laughs> mad at you if, you if you go Ric Flair, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Hulkamaniac no, at heart. Um, I mentioned Hulk Hogan last week because um, she talked about funny stories. I have a scar on the back of my head, and you'll remember this. In the 80s, there was a Hulk Hogan weight set. That they had, that they had a box set. Everything was blue. My brother and I bought it because we were seeing <laughs> and I cracked my head open on it. So, I, I'll, brain damage or not, I'll always be a Hulk Hogan fan. I would say he's the greatest of all time in terms of, uh, you know, persona and just everything about him. Obviously, if you're going to talk about in ring, you can't really compare him and Ric Flair in terms of actual in ring work. But uh, I've been watching the WWE, uh, the, Un the undisputed championship, the whole you know history of the WWE title. And I was telling Joe, because of Netflix, I'm always watching wrestling stuff. Um, it's like six or seven straight matches of Hulk Hogan fighting, you know, Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3, Paul Lorndorf, um, King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 2. I mean, big-time Hogan fan. I just I love Hogan, and it's great that, you know, you're, you're in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Hulk Hogan, and you hear it a lot, like you said, you know, in-ring performance, and, uh, you know, Hogan gets a, a knock for that. But one of the things, and coming, I guess, from a theater background... I, I always fell in love with the, the ability for, for the greats right. to tell stories and to really be able to tell a story while in the ring. And as much as Hogan was not a guy who was going to be, you know, incredibly quick or throwing, you know, a bunch of holds right, on right, you, like, right. he told stories. No, Hogan knew how to tell stories. So as far as, like, when you say in ring, um, I, to me, Hogan gets a, a bad knock because that guy could tell a story Almost as good, if not better, than anyone else who's, who's ever done it before. Aside, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but you can tell the stories via the promos. Of course. Of but course. in the ropes, you know, it, it's, it's tough. And Hogan was, a, was very good at telling stories. No, he definitely was. I meant more in the terms of technical aspects, throwing wrestling holes in there, you know, 60-minute Ironman matches, yeah. stuff that Ric Flair is famous for. Or even, like, my personal favorite in terms of overall, which would be Shawn Michaels, just the technical in-ring work coupled with everything else. I mean, Hogan was great. I'm watching him taking body slams and sounding like he just got shot. And I mean, I, I just watching him now as an adult. I still love Hulk Hogan. I still think he's he's the man. Well, we talk about Hulk Hogan, and I'm of the belief yes, Hogan put wrestling on the map. But I also give credit to Vince McMahon. Now, do you think that it was Vince and Hogan? 
together that made wrestling and WrestleMania one? Or do you think it was just Hogan? I, I feel that McMahon gets uh, at least 50% of the credit. Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, uh, you know, Vince had the vision, uh, you know, to use a a sports analogy, I guess. Right. I, I think you'd, you'd almost say that, you know, if if Vince was the, the quarterback, then Hogan was the uh, the hard-nosed running back. Uh, you know, Vince kind of handed off the ball, and Hogan had to – so I think Hogan did a lot of the dirty work. You know, Hogan of had course. to go into the territories and – wrestle in front of crowds that were not happy that he that the WWF at the time yeah, was yeah. taking over those territories. So, you know, Hogan did the grunt work, but yeah, definitely Vince McMahon had the vision. Vince McMahon had the vision of, of what it is now, which is a multi billion dollar industry. Um so yeah, I mean at least fifty percent of the credit you gotta give to Vince. Don't ask me why, but I was thinking about this the other day when I was getting ready for work. I feel like I think I heard it somewhere, and this is it stuck with me a couple of days later. Uh, people were saying how, you know, could somebody else have played Hogan's role? If Vince had found somebody else to do it, would they have done it? I'm, I'm, I personally have the belief of I don't see how it's even possible that if you put Roddy Piper in that situation, great wrestler, if you put Macho Man, Randy Savage, anyone you can think of, I don't think anybody would have been capable of bringing WrestleMania, bringing the WWF, like you said at the time, to the level as Hulk Hogan was. And, of course, he did it over an extended period of time versus, like, Steve Austin. Austin made more money, but, you know, um, all those people who grew up as wrestling fans like ourselves were older, so we were able to spend more money on the WWF product. So I think kind of Hogan gets the, the shaft when it comes to that stuff. But um, what do you think, Ken? Would you say somebody else could have done it, or do you agree that uh, it was just the right guy and nobody could have duplicated that success? I think it was one of those things that it was, it was the right time. Uh, it was the 80s. Um, you know, for, I mean, if you, if you went like, if you wanted to go timeless, like a guy like, like superstar Billy Graham, if he was a little younger and kind of came around in, in the eighties, then maybe he could have filled that Hulk Hogan role. I agree with you. I don't think a Roddy Piper could have done it. Um, you know, maybe like Andre was a little older at yeah. the time, maybe Andre could have been the guy, but you know, it, it's, it's sometimes in life and especially in media, you know, things kind of intersect at the right time. And, you know, Vince Jr. Uh, taking over, uh, wanting to go national, and Hogan kind of breaking in at, at the same time. And, you know, the AWA not wanting Hogan because Hogan wanted to do Rocky III right, and all right. those things like the stars aligned right. to kind of, you know, bring it forward. But the, the char charisma, uh, McMahon wanting to do what he did, and, and just the 80s, you know, right, the right. 80s just having this larger-than-life hero, just I don't know if anyone else in that era could have done it. The reason I say that, and I know Joe will chime in on this in a second, is because they tried to pass off the torch at, at WrestleMania 6, which devastated me as a kid. I pretty much stopped watching. I, I was heartbroken. My brother and I went nuts. But they tried with the Ultimate Warrior. Didn't work. You know, they switched the belt to Sergeant Slaughter. Same thing. Didn't work. And then they had to bring Hogan back. So if you look at his career, it's basically a full 10-year span where he's carrying the WWF on his back, where Steve Austin in the 90s did it for like four years maybe, got injured, you know, his neck injury with uh, Owen. It caught up to him later. So, I, I mean, I know I'm a Hogan mark or whatever, but I just kind of <laughs> threw that out there. Um, another thing I want to mention to you, Ken, is um, me and Dave talk about the Attitude Era and how great ratings were when you had WCW and WWF back then. Um, my take, my opinion, tell me if you agree or not. My um, For one night, it was so cool to see Vince McMahon buy WCW on March 30th, 
2001, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, without the competition, when Vince folded WCW the way it is, we felt like, and we've always fantasy booked these things, we always thought that keeping WCW its separate company, having them compete against each other, was the better move. Instead, Vince really folded the, the company up and really wanted just the video packages. Do you feel that that was the turning point in terms of just everything that has led up to wrestling what it is today? Oh yeah, I, I think if you look at the Attitude Era, and and you know I I love the Attitude Era. I mean it was it was a lot of fun. Um, there were I think sometimes people look back on that era with rose colored glasses. Oh, I mean there was stuff that didn't work in the Attitude Era. <laughs> of course. Um, but when you have competition and real competition, it always it would have been tough if Vince bought out WCW and kept them as a separate company because still in all it's not real competition. Right, you know right. Vince would own both companies, but that real competition was lighting a fire. Under, under each of them, you know, WCW winning in the ratings, you know, push the, the WWF, you know. Uh, I kind of got out of wrestling really like in the early 90s because if you remember like in the WWF, that's when, you know, guys like, and no disrespect to these performers, but like when, when like Duke the Dumpster Drossy was oh, like popular and, and it just got like I was college age. I just, it yeah. was, it was kind of getting cheesy for me. And when Hogan turned, and, it, you know, started the NWO and WCW, that's really, you know, people talk about the WWF and the Attitude Era. To me, that's really when the, quote, Attitude Era started. That's right. when everything changed, when Hogan turned. And it was that real competition. Well, WCW is out doing us. We got to change. And then, you know, WCW, oh, well, the WWF is doing this. Well, we got to do this. So it was that back and forth. I, I've always thought that competition is sorely needed in, in wrestling to make things better. And I... I keep hoping. I mean, right now I have some involvement in the NWA and I'm doing commentating for NWA on fire. Um, you know, I hope for like us to continue to grow. I hope for TNA to, to move forward and continue to grow. You know, taking that product out on the road now is, is a good thing because the as soon as Vince gets threatened, then Vince will want to put out a better product. And, and, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad product, but you know, at times I do I do agree with you that it gets a, a little bit lazy as yeah. far as kind of pushing the envelope. What's interesting is that I read something online. I don't know how credible this is, but we'll find out soon. Apparently, with TNA going on the road, um, and I've heard both sides of the coin. Joe and I have, have been proponents of this for years. We always thought that every time we talk about TNA, we bring it up where they should be on the road. But people are saying, can they sell out the arenas, which, of course, is the issue. Now, you have guys like Sting, Jeff Hardy, et cetera, et cetera, named people. But I read that the WWE is now possibly doing house shows on the same night that TNA does their show in the same area or, or you know, something similar. And if that's true, then that, that shows that Vince, not that he's scared, but maybe he's thinking, wait a minute, these guys are going out on the road. They're no longer at the impact. Because, of course, he, he knows what's going on. They're no longer in the impact zone. Um, maybe we should start doing something a little bit different. Even Triple H, who's obviously been more involved, uh, we'll get into him when we talk about Bruno San Martino in the Hall of Fame. But if that's true, then that may be a really good thing for pro wrestling because that means Vince is starting to feel even a little bit of heat. Yeah, I mean, Vince, Vince is a bright guy. And, you know, there's no denying, you know, what he's done and what he's built. Um, and the interesting thing with Vince, because of what happened in the Monday Night Wars, I, I don't think Vince will ever let that happen again, or at least he'll attempt to stop that from ever happening again. So, you know, I, I've seen the reports online, you know, wrestling is, is an interesting business and things get floated out on the Internet and all of a sudden everyone's grabbing it and running with it. So you try and take all that stuff, you know, kind of with yeah, a grain yeah, of salt. Of but uh, 
Um, if that's the case, it, it'll be interesting if the WWE is, is taking notice of, of what TNA is doing. But you brought up an excellent point. I mean, when you look at TNA's roster and when you know that you can go to a show and, you know, if they bring the roster, you know, because sometimes they have part-timers, but, right. you know, if they really bring the roster on the road and you got a shot to go in and see a, a Jeff Hardy, a, a Kurt Angle, a Chavo Guerrero, um, you know, they have a really good roster, a very talented roster, and a roster with uh, some decent names on it. So if they're on the road, you know, they could at least rattle the cages of the WWE. Yep. Um, you mentioned that the product, um, you know, and I, I'm going to say the product is not as good at all because I remember <laughs> there were times that I had been in front of my TV at 8.59 and make sure that I started watching the first minute. Now I'm DVRing Raw. Barely DVRing SmackDown. I am DVRing TNA, and I'm I'm fast forwarding through parts that I just find so god awful nowadays. I don't know if it's just the writing or I think the talent is not as good as it was. Uh, it's a combination of things. But if you're a wrestling fan, now is the time that you really get into it because it's the road to WrestleMania. We have WrestleMania only a couple months away. Uh, Rock Cena two. Me and Dave are not the biggest fans of that. Um, what do you feel about how WrestleMania the card is shaping up so far? I mean, we have Rock Cena two. Is it the? Do you think that's the marquee match that they should have lined up for this? You know, WrestleMania. It's a tough call because you go from that whole, you know, as as a, you know, if you watch wrestling for a long time and you start to think, oh, I want to do something interesting, I want to do something different, I want, to, but WrestleMania is always going to be the obvious matchups, right. and and you know, it's tough as a fan. Would I like to see maybe something different, perhaps? But I I get it, like you of know, course. I mean, if you surveyed a hundred people that don't watch wrestling at all and say, name a wrestler. You know, The Rock and John Cena are the two guys that are going to, you know, probably, and probably Hulk Hogan are going to be the guys that are going to be mentioned. So I, I get it why why they're doing that. Um, I, I think the card is shaping up to be decent. What I think the WWE has actually done a good job with as of late, which they this era has been, it's been poor with, is I, I think John Cena, There's there are things he does well. And I, and I get it, the people who aren't John Cena fans. I'm not a John Cena hater. Um, but I, I, what I found with the WWE is that they weren't really developing other talent. No. So if you were bored watching Raw, I think all your angst was centered on John <laughs> Cena. Um, now I, I do think with what the WWE is doing, um, you know, bringing back Brock Lesnar, bringing back Jericho, uh, you have The Shield, good young talent. You have guys like Dolph Ziggler. Uh, you know, some young talent that I, I think I'm confident that that the uh, the card will shape up. I mean, I'm I'm going and and it's funny with that because it's very difficult. And uh, admittedly, I've gone. I've, I'm lucky because my girlfriend watches as well. And uh, we went to WrestleMania 25, and we we kind of decided where we're going to go on vacation is wherever WrestleMania is in the given year. So we've <laughs> we've gone every year since 25, and you get so caught up in the pomp and circumstance. And, and regardless of what you want to say about the WWE, whether creatively it's stale or right. they miss the boat, man, they do a good job at WrestleMania weekend. They really do a good job at WrestleMania weekend. So, you know, it, it, it becomes real difficult because I go to, you know, I'm like, I'll go to WrestleMania and people are like, oh, that was terrible. I'm like, oh, I, I kind of enjoyed it. But <laughs> it, it's all like, I mean, the Hall of Fame is always well done. Um, right. You know, access is, is fun. It, and you're just... You know, you guys as wrestling fans probably know, you spend the bulk of your life 
defending being a wrestling fan. You tell people, yeah, I love wrestling. Like, oh, do you watch wrestling? You know, you know it's fake, don't you? You know, and and it's just like you're always defending it. And when you go on WrestleMania weekend, it's everyone around you wants to talk wrestling. You go to like the bar in, in the hotel, and no one's debating football. No one's talking. You know what's going on in baseball or basketball. Everyone's debating and discussing wrestling, and it's just it winds up being a really fun weekend. So. I'm optimistic about the card, but I, I know probably whatever the card is, I'm still going to have a good time. If you're vacationing, you know, during WrestleMania weekend, then yeah, I can understand that the card might not be a priority as opposed to ordering it online. Because like you said, you're going to the Hall of Fame, you're going to Access. Now, Access is something I want to ask you about. How cool is that as a wrestling fan to, like, tell me some interactions that you've had with some of the wrestlers during Access. Um, it, it's always a lot of fun. I mean, some of the you know, I, I'll give advice to people who are listening. If you're thinking about going to Access, uh, the Sunday morning Access is swamped. That that you cannot move if you go Sunday. We made the mistake of going Sunday one year. It's absolutely swamped. The best access to avoid, like, too many people is always the Thursday Access. Before, they have a Thursday Access, Friday, then Saturday, Sunday. It gets progressively more crowded as the weekend goes on. Um you know, as, as an old-school wrestling fan, I got to meet Howard Finkel at uh, an Access. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and I had, they have a Hall of Fame uh, set up, which is nice. Uh, and they change it up. Like, one year they had uh, John Cena's car collection. So, I mean, regardless of whether you love or hate John Cena, I mean, seeing his collection of muscle cars was kind of neat. Um, the, the display for The Undertaker's Graveyard, where they actually have uh, tombstones for every but he's beaten at WrestleMania is always fun. And, uh, you know, some years they have, uh, you can film your own entrance, um, which, you know, it, it mostly kids do it, but I had to do it. <laughs> I mean, I went, I did Michael's, uh, entrance and they actually used my picture on WWE.com. That's so cool. that was, was kind of cool. Um, they do, they haven't done it every year, but they have a, a, a spot where you can go and sit and actually call a match. Uh, like a classic WrestleMania match, um, oh, wow. and they actually and they have matches, they have uh, contests, they have trivia contests. It's just a, it's just a really fun fan fest. Uh, like I said, I I can't say enough good things about you know creatively. Like I said, people can say it's bad, say it's good, whatever. But I mean, what they do that weekend is is always uh, phenomenal, and and access is especially if it's your first time. Access is always a lot of fun. You know, it's interesting. You talk about what WWE does right, and um, I know a lot of internet fans. I'm not sure where you side on this, but obviously we have The Rock as WWE champion, and a lot of fans on the internet are going nuts because CM Punk's you know longest in 25 years of title reign came to an end, et cetera, et cetera. As a fan and somebody with a brain, I understand why they did it because of course The Rock is promoting all these ridiculous films that he's doing. And admittedly, some I'm really interested in watching, like Fast and the Furious and, uh, and even G.I. Joe, too. But, um, you know, he's a name guy. Like you said, everybody knows The Rock. If they, you know, you've seen him. You've seen him in a movie. Um, and, you know, I, I think that was a good movie because, of course, it gives, he's going out there with the WWE title. Now, Joe and I hate the current design, and we talk about this all the time. They need a new belt. Don't you, Ken? But, <laughs> I, I'm not, you know what's funny? I've never been a fan at all. Of personalizing the belt. Yeah. So I would go all the way back. I didn't, li I didn't like the Brahma Bull belt. I didn't like the Smoke and Skull. I mean, they were cool looking. Yeah. But to me, the belt's the belt. So, you know, keep it. I mean, if you want to tweak it over the years, but 
Never, never liked personalizing the belt. Ken, you're hired. I don't care what else. <laughs> I gotta ask you, and I'm gonna get back to this because this wasn't even my point. Which, which is your favorite design? I personally like the winged eagle. Um, Joe, where do you stand on it's that? It's close. It's a tie between the winged eagle and the attitude belt. I'd probably go with the winged eagle. Yeah, yeah I have both, by the way. Do you? Yeah. I have the world title belt. I, I have I like that one, that. too. Yeah. <laughs> I can bring it in. I'll bring it in one time. <laughs> I'll hit you with it. Um, but I was talking about what the WWE does right, and another thing they're doing right, absolutely, Hall of Fame, Bruno San Martino. Weigh in on that, Ken. Uh, what do you think about him finally getting in, uh, finally agreeing, Triple H doing all this work so that he can, you know, mend the fences, as it were? Well, I mean, it's funny that you brought up, like, the internet wrestling community, and then you brought up... Uh, you know, and I, I love the internet. And I love interacting with fans, and and but man, you can't make any of them happy nope. ever, ever. <laughs> and uh, you know, like you brought up, I mean, Punk. Look, he had the longest run in in 25 years. Uh, enjoy it. I mean, it, maybe it's not the best case scenario that a part timer beat him, but you you know, the the movies, the publicity going into WrestleMania. Um, you know, the internet wrestling community criticizes Triple H a lot, um, and Triple H is you know. In a tough position, he's, he's married to the boss's daughter, so it's tough to take seriously. I've always liked Triple H. I always thought Me that too. that guy was very talented, had a, a tremendous grasp he on the heel persona, um, could do the technical stuff, could do the strength stuff. In his prime, had an unbelievable build and look. Um, always liked him, and for him to bridge that gap, if he, if everything we're hearing is true, and he was the one that bridged the gap to bring in Bruno San Martino. I mean, you're looking at this class, and this is one of the best classes to ever go into the Hall of Fame. And it's, again, we talked about Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan's the best of all time as right. far as we're concerned. But you know what? If you talk to someone and someone said Bruno San Martino's the best of all time, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight you on that. And when you start to look at this class, you know, there are some classic wrestling fans that are going to put Backlund up in that category. So you've got two guys that some people may consider the best of all time. Going in this year, you could make the case for Trish Stratus being the best female ever. You know, one of the most athletic ones, to me, maybe the best who bridged the gap between being athletic and being hot. You know, <laughs> she, she, because now it, it's, it's kind of gotten ridiculous yeah, where they're, they're Barbie dolls and, and they're not athletic. I shouldn't say at all, but they're not very athletic. <laughs> you know, Trish Stratus was amazing. She could, she could run a match. You know, she's a great worker. I mean, some of the match between her and Lita you know, could, could uh, you know, main event a card. So you have, you have arguably one of the best females of all time, and then you have maybe the best hardcore guy of all time in, in Mick Foley. So they put together a, a tremendous Hall of Fame class. And, uh, you know, when you talk about Bruno, I mean, you know, we got our tickets and, and we're going. We got, we got the package deal. And, you know, I couldn't have been more psyched when I heard that they finally, uh, you know, are putting Bruno in. Because you, you do, as, as these guys get older, and, uh, you know, you, you you see them and you know the names. You just start to feel like, you know, after he passes, they're going to put him in. You know, like he's going to die. Yeah. And, you know, Savage, I mean, the good thing about this class, Savage now is, to me, the only real glaring omission. Right. I mean, there are other people you could probably say, oh, he should be in, he should be in. But the, the WWE Hall of Fame lacked legitimacy because of, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, and Macho Man Randy Savage not being in the Hall of Fame. And they got two out of the three in this year. So they, they've done a good job with that. I read that, uh, I, I read that the reason I've heard, you know, his brother Lanny Papo um, saying that the reason Randy's not in and he'll probably never get in, maybe until he, his brother passes away, is because supposedly he wanted the three of them in at the same time, which is ridiculous. 
Now, I know what Joe's going to say, so I'll let him chime in on this. Now, I don't know how much uh, Dave has told you about me, but, uh, you know. Nothing at all. Good. That's good. (laughs) That's really good. Uh, We're all wrestling fans here, and um, we talk about the Hall of Fame. You know, it's a Hall of Fame for wrestling. Uh, For me, uh, it's... (laughs) Just get to it already. We just say what it is. I'll get to it, but I want Ken to really laugh about this one because it it really sticks in my crawl. Okay. Um, (laughs) The the day that one certain individual got into the Hall of Fame is when I lost all credibility for this Hall of Fame. (laughs) And that would be the the Birdman, Coco Beware. (laughs) To me, when Coco Beware got into the Hall of Fame and I found out about that, I lost all all respect for the Hall of Fame. (laughs) I mean, I like the Hall of Fame, and yes, I agree that Macho Man is the last real person that we think about that should be in the Hall of Fame, but come on, Coco Beware. I agree with you. That, I mean, that's it. And it's tough to argue because every time I get in the discussion about the, the Hall of Fame and you, you talk about someone, it's like, all right, you, you talked about the, the Poffle family and Lanny Poffle. Is Lanny Poffle real, really a Hall of Famer? And then someone will say, well, Coco's in. It's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's so tough. Like, you, you almost have to stop, like, just, all right, that was a mistake. Like, you can't, you can't, you can't use Coco as the barometer of, of who belongs in the Hall of Fame or not. I, I don't so. know why he's in, though. Joe I goes, don't know I, why. I don't so. He goes nuts about it. And to me, Randy Savage would be the biggest name guy not in. Uh, Jake just think Roberts, I know he's going through his substance abuse problems. He'll probably get in there eventually. Um, but after that, I mean, <laughs> pretty much close the Hall of Fame down because I can't think of anybody else. But Joe and I have gotten it, and I agree. I totally agree. Coco's not, not good. But he goes so nuts over it. He gets, like, obsessed to the point where we, we were fighting about this, like, two days ago. He's telling me, you know, Coco can go to hell, and I said, Coco, beware. He, he didn't win any titles. And I'm like, all right, well, Joe, it's, it's fixed. So If he didn't have a parrot, I don't think he'd ever even be considered. I think the parrot did it. Well, remember, he yeah, I mean, he ushered in the, the, the pet era of the WWF. <laughs> right. Do you remember that? I mean, this is, like, you know, when I kind of stopped watching. But do you remember that time where he had the bird? Jake the Snake had his snake. Yeah. You had, and then all of a sudden, Ricky Steamboat started bringing an iguana down to the ring with him. So Ricky the Dragon had a dragon. The Bulldogs had Matilda. Yeah, it was like, did. oh, that's gee, right. like, does everyone get a pet now? So maybe that's why he got them. Maybe it would have been better if we uh, let Frankie into the Hall of Fame <laughs> instead of Coco. Oh, <laughs> we could talk wrestling for hours, can I realize? Okay. And we're, I know we, we have other guests, but let me ask you about your show. Uh, what, you know, me and Dave uh, developed this show, Pure Gold, about two years ago. Uh, because we felt like, you know, why not voice our opinions? And then what made somebody like a wrestling fan want to do a show on Blog Talk Radio and now considering to do a show here uh, on 1640 AM? Well, like I, I mean, it, it, what I love about wrestling is, and someone said this to me and I thought it was a great uh, description, but it was, it was like wrestling is, is America's biggest inside joke. And, <laughs> and it was just one of those that were like, you know, if you find if you find wrestling fans, man, they love to talk about it. and and you you almost like like even us right here now, like when you you meet another wrestling fan, it's their eyes light up. It's like, oh, you you really want to talk wrestling? Let's talk wrestling. And uh, like I said, when I started my show, and it was kind of a little bit of everything, and and I got more emails involving uh you know or asking about wrestling stuff, and then uh my co-host Dave Rosenbluth, uh, I met him actually, I met his brothers in Arizona at WrestleMania and uh, got in touch with him and started talking. And then we started throwing around uh, ideas. I said, why don't you, you call in and, and be the co-host? And uh, it kind of took off from there. I mean, we, we go every Sunday. We, we started doing Sundays. So we thought that would be cool. Is like when there's a pay-per-view, it winds up being kind of a pregame. Right. Right. So right. we go six to eight every Sunday, you know, the Ken com or on, on blog talk. And, uh, you know, it was cool. And we went, you know, that first month we had, I think 70 or so, uh, listens were up over 4,000. 
uh, a month right now. Generally, we get a, a we have a wacky group of callers that call in uh, <laughs> every that. week, which which is great. Though I mean, they kind of you know they they become as as the show evolves, uh, you know, just they're part of it. You know, we have me and Dave are, are hosting it, but our our wacky group of callers uh, uh, co-hosts kind of, and uh, you know we've got a lot of independent wrestlers that call in to kind of kind of voice their opinions, and we had a you know a guy that um. We did awards at the end of the year, and uh, this guy, Steve Off, who won uh, Best Unsigned Talent uh, by vote, uh, was uh, winning uh, his bracket in the TNA Gut Check Challenge until today. I don't know if you heard, but they suspended voting for that, so that's a whole <laughs> a whole different story. But he was doing well in that. So, uh, you know, it's been cool meeting the, the indie guys, and then that, that spawned into, uh, you know, I'm doing commentating on NWA on that's Fire, which is... Uh, you know, anybody who's a classic wrestling fan, I mean, you hear those three letters, NWA, it's, uh, yep. it was, you know, there's Gordon Soley, and when you talk about that lineage of commentating, all of a sudden there's a small piece of that history that has Ken Reedy on it, nice. and that's, uh, you know, Fridays at 11 o'clock on, on MeTV, and, uh, you know, so it's just been cool how things have just taken off over time, and, and you know, sometimes we, we didn't know if we could fill two hours every week, but uh, we wound up having more than enough to talk about, and, uh it's it's just been a fun run, and, and uh, you know more and more opportunities are are coming our way. So uh, you know who knows what the future might hold. It's funny you mention that because Joe and I do this show, and we talk about you know the one thing lacking from our show, I would say, would be uh, get, with callers because we have guests. You know, we've had like Billy Gunn, uh, the Road Dog, some indie people. You know, Chad, what, whatever. You know, Chad and Justin Incredible, and some people you may know wrestling, some people who are you know more local, but. The one thing I would say is lacking, and we talk about this all the time, is the callers aspect. Now, I listen to uh, Justin Labar, who's on WrestleZone. He's been on our show many times. It's funny because his show's every Tuesday. I hear a busted open. They do their show three days a week on Sirius, and I couldn't imagine talking for wrestling for six hours every week, But you know, which is why we morphed into less wrestling, more sports, and then, of course, you're doing uh, the opposite. But it's funny because on Justin's show, he always has the exact same callers every single week. And I just I'm fascinated by that because it's in the middle of the day, so these people are going out of their way. It's either they're not working or they're calling. You know, I, I got to take a break at three because I got to call this show. Uh, and wrestling fans are passionate, and of course, you know, Ken, we appreciate you coming down uh, to spend some time with us on the show. Uh, I actually heard your show before uh, we spoke, and I've heard so many shows on Block Talk Radio, and I've listened to other wrestling shows, and I say to myself, man, this is horrible, and I say that. As somebody who's been listening to talk radio for most of my life, whether it's Mike and the Mad Dog or, you know, wrestling, and, you know, I enjoyed your show. I thought it was great. I thought, you know, you I think you were talking to Steve, as a matter of fact, in the episode that I heard. It was the Sunday of the Royal Rumble, and I heard, you know, after the fact. But your show, to me, and I don't, I've, even if you weren't here, I would say the same thing. It stands out because it's actually interesting versus so many wrestling shows I've heard where guys are, like, you know, cursing each other's mothers out, <laughs> talking garbage terrible wrestling, uh, terrible voices, um, just bad, unentertaining stuff. And I heard it, and I told Joe about it. And I was like, you know, this show's pretty good. And then, of course, I uh, got in touch with Michelle, I got in touch with you. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to have you on more in the future. And, of course, uh, we'll speak after the show. But, uh, Ken, we really appreciate you coming out. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for spending a few minutes talking to some wrestling geeks about wrestling. No problem. Wrestling. And uh, you guys, you know, if you're, you're around March 16th, uh, NWA on Fire in Persephone, New Jersey, we're doing a show. So I'd love to have you guys uh, nice. come down and, uh, you know, check out our, our show, you know, as, as as my guests. Like, come come down and see some li- live wrestling. Friday, right? 
Yeah, uh, well, the show it's airs Saturday, Friday. Right? March 16th is a Saturday, oh, Saturday so we, we don't air live. Oh, Saturday would uh, be perfect. Actually, March 16th in Parsippany, and anyone who wants tickets, you know, com. but we'd love to have you two down as our, our guests. Definitely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I think uh, we just might take you up on that offer. Very cool. All right, Ken. So um, we will definitely be talking to you right after the show's over. I know, um, you know, we're really excited to have you on board, and hopefully everything works out, sir. So. Sounds good. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, that was Ken, who does a show on... You said Block Talk, but you never mentioned where on Block Talk, right? Uh, it's blogtalkradio.com slash the Ken Reedy Show. And, and you can go to the thekenreedyshow.com and, okay. and let's do it there. Very good, Ken. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're, we're not going to have really time, folks, to talk about probably uh, the Super Bowl, which was probably the biggest <laughs> uh, uh, event of the year in terms of viewers. So I'll just mention that the uh, Baltimore Ravens did win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, over Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Only on this show, when we have the biggest sporting event of the year, and we don't even get to talk about it because we're talking about Bruno San Martino. Yep. We're talking about movies. We're talking about Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania Six and all this other stuff. And it's the same thing that always happens. We just don't have enough time to talk about what we want to talk about. We really we need to do this show five days a week. We need to get some money and make this show happen, sir. Hopefully with Ken and uh, Olga, you know, that, that can happen, which we'll introduce in a couple seconds. Oh, of course. And um, as we go to the top of the hour, i got a, a couple of sound bites here. just want to play, folks, before we uh, move on with our next guest. It's just funny. Like I said, sir, uh, Super Bowl, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it happened. Who cares? <laughs> Live from 1640 AM Ironbound Radio in New York, New Jersey, it's Pure Gold with your host, David and Joe. Folks, we're live here on 1640 AM Ironbound Radio in Newark, New Jersey. Of course, if you're listening online at ir1640.com or on Blog Talk Radio, you can hear us from all over the world. Uh, we're joined right now by another, I mean, this is pretty much a lock, but somebody who we hope will be able to join us uh, on a regular basis in terms of being on the station. Um, you know, since we shipped Nelson off to uh, California, we had to have him, you know, deported. We figured we would try to get more people on this show, on the station, to make it something a little other than Portuguese music. And, of course, if you're listening to our Portuguese community, we love you guys. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, um, we appreciate you guys uh, listening to your music and the soccer matches and everything, but we want to make it a little bit more diverse. The whole purpose of the station was you know, we came on board was to have a little English, have a little Spanish, and then also Portuguese. And uh, we're just trying to make things uh, better, diversify them, as it were. And we're joined here by Olga, who is uh, – uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about herself. But Olga, thank you so much for joining us this uh, this wonderful evening here on a Wednesday night. Thank you for having me. How are you? Doing great, doing great. It's just funny because we've, we've the one person we ever had in studio was Nelson, and here we have, like, a whole bunch of people just waiting – uh, you know, coming on the show and stuff, having it live, so it's pretty cool. Olga, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know we connected because of an ad that I threw out there on Craigslist, but uh, tell us a little about yourself and, and uh, the audience so get to know you a little bit. Okay. Uh, my name is Olga Gonzalez-Ramos. I've been in the industry for 11 years. I am a plus-size model, actress, um, journalist. I mean, I'm doing everything now. My dream has always been to write, and modeling opened the doors for that. I was accepted, and my work can be found in Marie Claire, Latina Magazine, All You Magazine. Um, I just made the Jersey Journal this past November. I have worked with many celebrities. Um, as far as my journalism, I've interviewed Tyrese, Tony Braxton, Mike Tyson, Layla Ali, Spike Lee, um, Don Omar. I, I do a little bit of everything. And um, now 
I just landed Pitbull. I landed him and his record label, and they're flying me to Miami. I'm doing Premio Lo Nuestro and Latin Music Awards, which is major for the Hispanic um, community. It's 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 huge. And to think that this Jersey girl is doing all this, I mean, it, it's a lot. And I started at the age of 30, um, and, you know, I still have my regular 9 to 5, and it's good to know that you can still go after your goals even at the age of 30 when most people, like, you know, either at 30, like, forget it. If it didn't happen, it's not going to happen. That's not true at all. That's great, Olga. So tell us, what what was that moment that made you realize that this is what you want to do as, uh, you know, this is this sounds like more like a, of your passion and hopefully you could turn into a, what, a full-time career? Oh, it's been full-time for 11 years. Okay. Um, <laughs> if it gets any fuller, I have no idea what my family is going to do without me, but, um it, it it hit me when I made the phone cover of the Hudson Reporter, and, you know, that paper, it's it's for Hudson County, so it went from Seacaucus to Hoboken to Weehawken, and I was I was on the front page, and it was called Big Girl, and that was a year to the date that I started modeling, and I told myself, okay, Olga, something's happening here. you you got to keep it moving, and then um, I was interviewed by Cristina Saralegui. She's like the Cuban Oprah. You know, everyone that's Hispanic knows who Cristina is. Absolutely. And she she adored me. She told me, you're doing great things, keep it up. And to have someone that I grew up watching talk to me like that really, really inspired me to keep it moving and, and keep going after the things that I want in life. Now, of course, we talked about this uh, off the air. And, you know, I'm not a fan, per se, of Christina, but I know that she is somebody that every Hispanic knows. Everybody's heard of her, seen her show, whatever the case is. And to have that kind of recognition is amazing. You were also recently on uh, Yahoo!, which you sent me the, the link, and I was fascinated by that because, of course, you were talking about anti-bullying. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um. You know, thank thank God that now there's more rule, there's more rules and there's laws to help these children and and people being bullied. I, for the most part, never went through that, but I have four children, and one of my youngest was going through it. And, you know, he's very communicative with me and my husband. He's a great kid, but he was, like, not talking when he was getting home, going straight to his room, not interacting with his siblings. I was like, you know, something's going on here. And if if the bullying can turn my son into, like, a hermit to stay in his room and not come out, it's it's really scary because my son has always been a very positive, funny kid, you know, the, the laughs, the words, everything. So he was being bullied. He was in seventh grade, and I believe some eighth graders were bullying him. Every time he went to the bathroom, they were hitting him. And I, you know, I told him we we have you have to stand. You have to stand on your own. We have to do something about it. So believe it or not, I got him a whistle. I know it sounds funny. I said, when that boy comes near you, you're gonna whistle so damn loud, and he's gonna get busted. And um, that's exactly what he did. He whistled. There was a one of a security guard outside in the hallway, and he also wrote a poem, and he spoke to the principal, and he told him who the boy was, and he he actually described the boy to the color of his eyes, to the hair. He just didn't mention a name, and right. the principal put up this poem in the office to humiliate this child so he can realize that what he's doing to other people is unacceptable. So, I mean, I really want to keep with the anti-bullying. I want to help parents out because it's it's affecting too many of them. And what happens is when you get bullied at, at a young age, you're going to grow up to always feel that way. And then it can happen at the workplace. It can happen with a neighbor. And it, it doesn't stop for that person. They they live the rest of their lives always being a victim. And that's, that's like I said, unacceptable. 
You know, what's interesting is I bet Dave doesn't even notice that. Um, and I still remember this. I was actually a victim of bullying in second grade. And, uh, and you can remember that. You and I can remember that. Yep. Wait, why would I remember this? I wasn't there. No, I said I, I don't think I've ever told you this. Oh. <laughs> and, and you know, I've overcome that, obviously. I remember what happened and everything. The, the guy would actually – this guy must have been, like, in high school or something. He would literally pick me pick me up over his head. That's and, and and asked me for to give me his you know I had to give him Your my lunch, lunch money. To, no oh, just lunch God. not lunch money but lunch to him so and uh, what's interesting is that I've overcome that and now uh, since 2010 I'm now a victim of Dave's bullying so you know I could really <laughs> oh, use you your help yeah it was just me it was just oh, okay. so. <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah yeah now, you're, you're serious with that Dave yeah, you know yeah I mean every other second no the truth <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> calm down Renee so let me ask you um, Olga. Besides, you know, you know, making a difference in people's lives with this, you know, anti-bullying campaign. Let me ask you, uh, in terms of the entertainment side, who would you say is your most, per- the most interesting person that you've interviewed, and why? Okay, most interesting person. I really want to say um, the daughter of Malcolm X. It, I, I always say her name wrong. I, sh- I can't, I can't say because I know I'm, I'm gonna like brutally murder her name, but she. She was she was beautiful. We spoke about her father and you know how she had to grow up without her dad and all the things that he did for the community. And she was brilliant. I was so impressed with her and the community, all the stuff that she does for so many people. Yeah. Wow, that, that's definitely fascinating. When you told me some of the people you interviewed, I was like, wow. And of course, we talked about this off the year. Um, and we've had some great guests on this show. When I hear names like Nicole Kidman and Mike Tyson and stuff, I think to myself, well, you know, that that's a little bit more of the realm that we would love to, to get into. I mean, uh, I don't know about those bullying nonsense that Joe's talking about. You know, but, it's uh, true. But, you know, we, of course, we appreciate you uh, coming out here and, you know, coming out of your way to, to come to the studio. Now, of course, we've talked off the air about you doing a radio show um, here on 1640, and, uh, of course, you're interested. Now, tell us, if you were, you know, 100%, if you're, if you're in... Uh, what would you want to uh, to discuss? Like, tell the audience what your show would be about. Well, it would actually be about like um, like my blog, my life. Like one day, you know, I'm walking the dog, I'm doing dinner, and by seven o'clock, I'm going to a red carpet event, and I have people like Nicole Kim to interview, and it's just it seems surreal. But I mean, these these artists are amazing people. Sometimes the media doesn't portray them how they really are. I have interviewed so many of them, and. It's great to appreciate them, their work while you watch the movies, but it's it's really nice to know that they are great people. They're just just have more money than us, but they're just like <laughs> you and bit, me. A little bit. And um and I really right now I interview them and I you know, I blog about them on my blog, I write for magazines. But it's it's really cool that I'm always with them. Like I go to the we meet up, we'll have breakfast, lunch, we'll talk. And I'm like, well, this time I don't record these interviews, and it would be so much interaction. It would be so much better, I believe, than just having it just to read. Like, I would like to just keep writing the stuff. I would love to incorporate those interviews with the radio right now, and you guys can hear them laugh. You guys can, you know, get more of the favorite people that you love to watch and listen to in the in the entertainment business. No, that, that's definitely interesting. And again, we've talked about uh, the guests that we've had and what we do, and. A best, one of the best parts of doing this show, from my perspective, and I'm sure Joe would agree, is talking to other people. I mean, having people live in studio is amazing because it's so different than the norm. This this is, is fascinating because, you know, instead of just listening to Ken talk, uh, you know, on the talk to me on the phone, like, I'm actually watching his reaction. We're mentioning Hulk Hogan and his, his eyes are lighting up. And then, of course, you know, I have you here and you're, it's the same thing. 
Well, we're talking, you get to see the person, you get to see... I mean, Joe, Joe, uh, looking at his face, gets tiring every week. Bullying. So, that's oh, the bullying. That's the bullying. Oh, no. I gotta get a steel chair here and make so, sure. So, so, so if I sign on for the radio, we need to do the anti-bullying contract, please. I need Joe to be my witness. I agree. Well, anyway, the, the alleged bullying aside, it, the, the best part about doing the show to me is having guests on and talking to different people and getting their perspectives on things. Um, you know, having like the the guest that we just had earlier on, Aaron Bethay, who was an actress, to have her on and then to go from that to wrestling talk and then to talking about yeah, I love things like that. That's 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 good fuck radio right there. Oh, it, it's why we like it because we can do so many different things. Um, I was always afraid that we talked about too much stuff. And the same way that Ken's audience reacted and they're like, hey, no, go this route and do wrestling. Our audience and the feedback has always been, no, continue to do a variety show, which is what we love to do. Now, um, you're talking the same thing about doing interviews and having stuff like that. I mean, would you be doing the show by yourself or... Is there, and I know the answer to this question, but is there somebody else who may be joining you? Yes, absolutely. I'm actually going to be um, having on board uh, DJ LOS, and um, he has been like a guest DJ in La Mega, and he's amazing. He produces beats. He has a beautiful voice, and um, he's on board. Right now, he just got signed with um, two different artists. He's going to be their DJ. He's going to do oh, wow. the videos with them. He's going to be in every, you know, he's dropping his, his hooks in every song. And, and you guys are going to love him. He's he's amazing, and he's going to come on board with me. So I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. What about, uh, mention about to the audience about Telemundo, because that just recently happened. Am I correct? Okay. Telemundo, um, back in November... There's a show called Mujeres de Hoy, which is Today's Woman, and they did um, they featured me at the 6 o'clock evening news and all the things that I'm doing. And, you know, when you're professional and you work hard, people notice. And one of the main producers there noticed me, and, you know, she thanked me after the show. She's like, oh, but you're great. I said, thank you. And because I do write and I'm in the media, I always keep my friendships. I always send that monthly email, hey, it was great working with you. You know, how's everything? Because you have to keep these relationships moving. You just can't, like work with someone and never hit them up for, like, a year. That's just not, yeah, you can't. So um, now that um, I'm working with Latin Music Awards and Premio Lo Nuestro, I hit I hit Telemuna. I said, listen, I'm going to be out that way. And they were like, oh, my God, that's amazing. They told me we want all the exclusives. So now I'm like, wow, this is really great. Now, you know, my work is always, I always, I always distribute my work um, to major, major clients. But Telemundo is is like one of the number one Hispanic television networks. And now all my exclusives are going to go there, and I'm I'm very excited about that. No, that, that's awesome. And, of course, we're excited to, to hear about that stuff. And, you know, being Hispanic myself, uh, you know, I know the community is very passionate about music and about movies and things. And it's funny because, you know, there's always two sides to the spectrum. People will say, well, like, they have Miss USA and they don't have Miss Black USA or something like that. And people will say, well, why do you have to segment it or why do you have to, you know, offshoot it? But Hispanics, for example, you're speaking a different language. So if you're doing all English and, you know, many Hispanics, my own family, your family, I'm sure, my wife's family, they may not speak English. And uh, for what for whatever reason, and having Spanish awards and having those things where they can, you know, hey, I know this person, or this is somebody that I'm, um, I'm a fan of or whatever the case is. And, you know, people... Again, I don't like them personally, but novella, you know, people are oh, super passionate yeah. about their Spanish yes, soap operas, yes, which are, are a thousand times worse than the American ones because it's like 
it's, it's like never ending. years of, of <laughs> stuff crammed into like a six month thing and you know everybody's cheating on everybody but yeah um, you know to have that would be would have that Spanish flavor as it were here on the show uh or in the station would be great because there is a large Spanish community here in Newark I mean you know Newark is the melting pot as it were um here in New Jersey and it's not just the Portuguese or it's not just the you know the Italians like, like my co-host or whatever uh, but there's Hispanics, there's all different uh, aspects. So to have that here in, in the studio would be great. Well, I actually want to do a little Spanglish. I think my show is going to be um, uh, Spanglish. I'm going to throw words in Spanish and words in English, <laughs> and I'm going to have everybody happy, I believe. Well, that, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, Olga, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us here for, for a few minutes. Um, of course, uh, again, we'll be speak- I will be speaking to you. We'll be speaking to you after the show is over. Uh, we have a few minutes left. I know we have uh, somebody who's been on hold, amazingly enough, the whole show. And I didn't realize that, uh, so my apologies, but we're joined by the famous producer, Alex, all the way from uh, sunny, well, I don't know if it's sunny now, but sunny Florida. Alex, how are you doing? Hi, you guys. I'm doing good. Thank you. How about you? We are doing fabulous. Uh, sorry, i got to adjust the, the volume here because it, it, it's like decibels. It's going crazy. Alex, um, you and I talked off the air. You mentioned some uh, some commercials and whatnot. We didn't get, we were so busy talking about wrestling and other things, we didn't really get a chance to talk about the Super Bowl, which is, again, the biggest sports topic of the week, but that's typical for the show. I know you watch some of the commercials and whatnot, so tell us a little bit about that. Give us your, your take on that, as it were. I just had a, I have to watch the Super Bowl to know what they're talking about the next day uh, in every location in the United States, but I have to watch the commercials for my own purpose and my own profession. And I just thought this year there was a lot of brilliant ideas. Uh, I think that there are many favorites. There was a lot of critics, and uh, everybody picked their favorites. Uh, I personally, I really love the Clydesdale commercial. I don't know if you, I can tell the, the name of the brand. But yeah, Joe jo cries during that commercial. Like a little girl, he cries during the Budweiser commercial. Please. I love, it. I loved it. I also like the. I thought the Taco Bell commercial was brilliant with the older gentleman that gets out of bed and he goes dancing all night. And I obviously the talk of the town in the United States is the GoDaddy uh, oh, commercial. Yeah. I think everybody thinks that if anybody won anything that night was that kid. So um, uh, you know, it's funny, Alex. That commercial, I thought it was. I personally thought it was disgusting. I don't need to see, and, you know, no offense, but I don't need to see some kid, some goof, making out with a supermodel. It was just, it was a bit much for me. I didn't like it. The old people with Taco Bell, I thought that was great. Um, you mentioned that. I, I like the Rocks uh, Got Milk commercial because I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Dwayne Johnson, as it were. Me uh, too. I love him, yes. Yeah, he, he's great. But that, that uh, Go Daddy commercial, they're, they're known for pushing the envelope, but to me, their commercials are just uninteresting. And I realized that... But it's funny because people talk about them, and I think that's what oh, they're trying right. to do. They're grabbing people's attention, and they're saying, let's create some controversy, so they talk about this commercial. And that's all they're doing. I don't think that even the production was very poor, but it was all about the controversy. On the, I mean, it was very, in my opinion, it was very simply done for, for pure controversy and people to talk about it. There was nothing good about it, in my opinion, either. So I'm with you. <laughs> Yeah, pure controversy on pure gold. Uh, what can you say, Alex? Um, there's one other commercial that <laughs> there's one other commercial that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the um, 
the one with the Joe Montana stain. I don't even know if Dave even saw that I one. I haven't seen it yet. But uh, there was that. I mean, some of the commercials are their intention is to like make you talk about it the next day and uh, hopefully subliminally yeah. make you want to buy the product. So the GoDaddy commercial, yes, it was in poor taste. If if you didn't like that whole kissing scene, yeah. but uh, you know, the, you know, you want to be that person, Dave, that was kissing well, uh, Rain. I'm pretty sure my wife would not. Have, <laughs> oh wait, that's right, you are married. I'm pretty sure my wife would not appreciate that. Um, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, to throw this out there, uh, Bar Raffaele is supposedly the hottest supermodel in the world. Um, I'm not a fan. I actually prefer, you know, again, I, you know, I, if I were to say as a guy, some of the women we've had on this show, to me, are much better looking than these women who are supermodels who weigh like four pounds and look like they're going to get knocked over with, with the wind and whatnot. But to me, the commercial that I really enjoyed, um, one of my favorites was the Doritos commercial with the goat. I love that commercial. Oh, are you serious? Oh, I, I love well, it. A lot of people, a lot of people talked about it. That one, uh, in terms of, of production itself, the budget for the one for Taco Bell was a lot, a lot more course, than the one with the goat. But the goat made a lot of people like laugh and giggle. Which, that's why I like again, it. you're looking for a reaction. You know, that's what people want. You either are disgusted or you laugh or you cry. It's just if you were to determine. Every single commercial that night, that's all they were doing. They were trying to get a reaction out of you, so we talk about it today. It's really sad. Did you watch that's the Super Bowl, Alex? <laughs> yes, and I actually, for the first time in many years, I enjoyed, and I stayed until the last 15 seconds, which to me were history in the making. I thought it was great. I and thought was- it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean the reason why I ask is because I heard that you're the reason why there was a blackout, a blackout uh, during you know the third quarter. You were such a fan. <laughs> what? No I was the reason. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing, Alex. I don't know. Can you confirm or deny? deny? No, I have nothing to do with. It. I heard it was some hackers that work in a radio station in Jersey. That's all I heard. Oh, oh my God, <laughs> that, that's, that's not even messed up. Now, were there, the thing that always gets me about the Super Bowl, uh, other than the fact that, you know, I'm a sports fan, so I'm watching it, the fact that people are paying $4 million in this case to, to show, like, does, doesn't everybody know Doritos? Why spend that much money, which you could probably hire more people and get more people to work in that case and, you know, help out the economy. You're spending $4 million for a brand everybody knows. Everybody knows Taco Bell. Everybody knows Volkswagen, which that whole Jamaican accent commercial to me was stupid. Um, everybody knows all these different brands and they're spending zillions of dollars for commercials for what? Like I'm not going to, I love Doritos, but I'm not going to go buy more Doritos and get a pet goat because I saw a Doritos commercial (laughs) or I'm not going to go to GoDaddy and get a website because I found better web hosting sites, uh, you know, that are, that are less expensive. And I'm, you know, that doesn't interest me. I can't imagine that people are watching this and say, Oh, the Budweiser Clydesdale horse. I'm going to go get a horse and I'm going to go drink some Budweiser. I don't know, Alex. Again, it's to talk about it, but to me, it's just a waste of money. Give give that money to us, and we'll put better use to it than these. <laughs> I knew that's where you were going with this. <laughs> you that's want, where he was going with yeah, it. Yeah, he wants he wants Doritos to sponsor Ken. He wants uh, Volkswagen to sponsor Olga. He wants uh, Budweiser to sponsor PG, even though yeah. that would not be PG. <laughs> yeah, we know not. where you're going. It's all about the money. Oh, of course, of course. Um, will any other commercials stand out for you, Alex? No, those were my favorite. I know there was a lot of talk about the commercial that it was for a Jeep, and they had Oprah Winfrey with the voiceover, and a lot of people thought that she did a really good job. The, the message had a lot to do with 
people, I believe it was the Navy SEALs or something like that, where they talk about the military, they leave away from their wives. They made it really emotional, but uh, it's been it's been on the wires. Everybody's talking about that commercial because Oprah Winfrey was the voiceover, and uh, it sounded pretty good. They were teasing about Morgan Freeman watching out for uh, for the new voiceover, popular voiceover of Oprah, because she might end up doing a lot of that. <laughs> Thank you, so the TV in on a daily basis, you know? It's good branding. Right. And one of the commercials that I really enjoyed was the Paul Harvey commercial. Paul Harvey passed away like three years ago, four years ago, but um, the whole God Made a Farmer, I enjoyed that commercial because it spoke to a lot to the roots of the country and it, it spoke a lot to, um, and I'm not a Dodge fan per se because, you know, my dad worked for Ford for 30 years, so I'm, I've always been loyal to that brand. Um but the fact that it's the whole hardworking truck and it's a, you know, that, that whole brand, I, like, I got that. And I thought that was a good commercial. There was a lot of talk about that. Um, but, again, just give us that money instead. We'll put better use to it. And I just wanted to throw that out there. I know. I just know that the reason, in my opinion, and in, my, in, the, in the talk about it, it's, they do it exactly for what you are doing in your show tonight. We're talking about it. You're creating branding. It's something that people – realize how much they're investing it makes you it makes you stand out and that's why they do it that's the only reason it's, it's branding recognition and you're not propagating something you didn't know about and that's why they spend that kind of money and that airtime you have very few times in the year you have that many numbers of eyes watching the same exact moment so it's almost guaranteed they're hoping that you're not taking a bathroom break that you're going to watch <laughs> Their name that you're going to watch what they're doing. So it's, there's a lot of jokes about it. People say, "Well, that's exactly when I go to the bathroom. I don't even watch it, but I just watch it because I really enjoy all those commercials. I really think it's it's good creativity, you know. I good to talk about it." Alex, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but we know you know you, we love you, and uh, you know <laughs> Dave told me about potentially getting uh, somebody from uh, uh, Newark, a Newark native here. Um, I, I'd love to have him on the show. Is there any way you could get Shaq on our show? <laughs> I, uh, I'll tell you what, I talked to the manager of Shaq, and he told me that he was going to help me out on this one. So if I can get you Shaq, I will get you Shaq. I also have, uh, I met two Super Bowl players, former Super Bowl, Super Bowl uh, players from the, I believe they played during the 80s. One was from the Broncos, and one is from the Dallas Cowboys. And those two guys will probably come in the air very soon in your show. But uh, I don't want to say names until I get a final confirmation. But it's two NFL players, and they'll they'll be they are talking to me directly, and they, oh, I'm nice. trying to make them so they're guests on the show. Well, we don't want you getting sued or anything, and I don't want you to you know never hear from you again because uh, ex player sued you for all your worth. Alex, listen, uh, you know again, I apologize for keeping you on hold for so long. You know, when I go through the, when I look at the uh, switchboard and see who's on, I wasn't sure that it was you. I knew it was a Florida number. I actually thought it was one of our other callers who, who he always calls in, and I like to ignore him because he's a personal friend of mine, so I'll pretty much just leave him on hold all night. So I apologize for that. Um, would you shut up? It's not, it's not bullying, Joe. It's not bullying. But listen, Alex, uh, of course, hopefully we'll be able to have you on in the future, and we always appreciate you giving us some time. And I know we'll talk off the air about a couple of things, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. I'm very afraid I'm going to be in New York next week, so I'm very afraid. How's the weather today? Uh, it's actually pretty nice. It's like 100 degrees. It's sunny. Uh, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm Liar. <laughs> I'm in Miami. It's probably in the 30s. It's actually not that bad. It, it's better than it has been recently. I think it's going to be all the way in the 40s next week. Oh, my God. Hopefully, I'll get to see you guys. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Okay, you take care. Have a wonderful evening. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye, Bye. Folks, that was Alex, the producer, famous, world famous, uh, especially here in Pure Gold. Joe, we have like two minutes left. Uh, yeah. We need to close out the show. We didn't talk about the Hall of Fame. We didn't talk about is there any? And we didn't talk about the football Hall of Fame. Is there anything you want to mention before uh, I cut you off and we go off the air? That's bullying again. Would you just get to the point? Anyway, so let's talk about the Super Bowl for just two minutes that we have, uh, since it is the biggest, you know, sporting event of the year. Wait, um, what is the point? All right. So uh, you know. Basically, you had a tale of two halves. You had uh, the Ravens uh, pretty much dominating San Francisco the first half. The, then to start the third quarter, you had the Ravens return a touchdown. They're up 22 points, and you think that you know this game is going to lose ratings. It's going to you know it's going to be a blowout. And all of a sudden, the the lights go out in New Orleans, and the lights go on in San Francisco, and they're able to come all the way back. Except for the game really turns around. I know we don't have a, don't have a lot of time, so I just want to go fast sure, with this. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> yeah, the, the game turns around. I think where Ray Rice fumbles the ball and San Fran is not uh, able to cash in with a touchdown. They only kick a field goal. Right. San, uh, Baltimore regains their momentum again and is able to score some more points. Uh, and basically, the, the game that uh, the game is in hand, where the San Francisco 49ers have the ball first and goal, and there's a couple questionable calls that Jim Harbaugh not using Kaepernick, not using Gore cost them the game. They don't get in. They don't score the touchdown. They lose. Yes, there's a couple questionable calls in terms of the officials, sir, but you can't blame the officials when you um, don't use your best players at the end of the game to win the game, especially the Super Bowl. I agree with that, sir. We're not talking to Montreal Screwjob. We're not talking to Earl Hebner here. We are talking the Super Bowl. But the truth is that um, when you look at that, I actually heard some rumors that The Undertaker is the reason that the lights went out. I'm not sure if that's true because it takes about 30 minutes to get to the ring at WrestleMania anyway. But um, what was interesting to me was how much the game turned around. Of course, you had the blow-up of the Ravens in the second half. You know, you have your 30-, 40-minute halftime show, so they're resting. Then all of a sudden, they come back, immediately score a touchdown, run it right down the throat of the Niners, and I think they're done. That's the knockout blow to me, or the low blow. Then all of a sudden, they have another halftime, 40 minutes, and the, the, the Niners come back. And I don't know, sir, I don't know, if it's, I don't know if it's a scam. I don't know what was going on in the Super Bowl, but uh, it was definitely an interesting game. And I started looking at Twitter because I turned the game off. I started looking at Twitter, and I had to come back on and watch the end of the game. You, you look at what the Ravens did in this postseason. I mean, they had um, one of the better postseasons. Uh, Joe Flacco had 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. And you talk about that miracle play against the Broncos. They go beat Brady in New England, and then they, they finish it off with a Super Bowl win. They had a great year. Congratulations to them. Unfortunately, my wife is a San Fran fan, so that didn't go over too well on Sunday night. But uh, <laughs> congratulations to the Ravens next year. There's always next year, according to my wife. Well, not I know. for your team, because your team sucks. Uh, let's not talk about the Jets. Today's been a great day, and you have to bring up the Jets. That's, again. Oh, I'm an Eagles fan, by the way. Oh, geez. He's, a, he's oh, been bullying yeah. me this whole show, uh, Olga. Uh, folks, wrap it up. Yeah, you, you got to wrap you, up you here. Need in, inside we camera. You, you need evidence.
It's the day before Valentine's Day. My anniversary, my wife's birthday. My wife will not let me come on the air, so we'll be here Ooh. Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for JB and all our guests. This is DG reminding you to always keep it PG. And as we close up, what's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold. Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Good night, everyone.